have been, as you probably remember, we have been uh, going through a series uh, through the book of Mark, and we finished almost, is that, is that Jesus calling? Lord, we are here, we are here. Um, we finished almost to the end of uh, chapter 4. We're just going to conclude chapter 4, and then we're going to do chapter 5 and uh, finish chapter 5 today. Uh, I don't know about you, but I've actually been enjoying this series a lot. I've been enjoying uh, prepping it. I've been enjoying uh, learning and going through this book. Like uh, you heard me say, sometimes Mark is the forgotten gospel, but I think Mark is a Pretty awesome little book, and I'm enjoying it very much. The book of Mark, we've seen, it's, it's a book that's filled with action. It's a, a little bit different than the other Gospels, that Mark seems to continually emphasize what Jesus did, and he is continually looking at the actions of Jesus and, and, uh, and how he lived his life and how he reacted and how he responded and and what he did in certain situations and the kind of people that, 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 that moved him, the, the kind of things that he did when pressure was on, the kind of life that he led with his disciples, the kind of training and mentoring he gave them. It's that kind of a book. Um, big, big gaps of his teaching are not in this book. Mark is very focused on what Jesus did. And he shows right from the start, right from Mark chapter 1, that uh, Jesus uh, had a lot of authority. You'll notice that word a lot on and off throughout this book, authority, that Jesus has authority. He talks a lot about the authority that Jesus has, how powerful he is. But yet, in his examples and in the life and in the actions that we see of Jesus, he not only has the authority and the power, but he lives with such great compassion that his love for people, it's, it's real, it's genuine. And this section today, it gives us four examples of his authority and example four examples of the victory. Uh, who likes to win? I do. It gives us four examples of the victory that Jesus can bring into our lives. So just talking about victory, just a slight aside. Yesterday afternoon, we, uh, we had a funeral for... Julia Grant, and Julia and Stan Grant were the founding pastors of this church, uh, started in the 60s, and um, she's 95, almost 95 years old, and we had a great celebration yesterday, and, uh, and uh, just rejoiced that she went home, and I, when I was thinking, I, I wasn't, uh, Steve Chalner was speaking, and uh, I was taking part in the service, but as we were going through the service, I was thinking of my message this morning thinking about the victory that Jesus gives and, and, and how we ultimately one day, I mean, we experience his victory now, but there is a day coming when we will ultimately see that victory. We will feel that victory. We will live that victory. It will be ours. And I couldn't help but think, well done, good and faithful servant, that she held credentials with the KOC for 65 years and, uh, and how just how precious and, uh, and committed she was. And 
uh, I, I just uh, was blessed. I think we all were. We were singing old songs, and, uh, and it was just a lot of fun. The Lion of Judah shall break every chain. It was awesome, yeah. Oh, only old Pentecostal people know that stuff, but, uh, but yeah, but it, it was, and I am one of those old Pentecostal people, so very proud to say that, but no, it was just, uh, uh, it was just uh, a great blessing, and so um, I just wanted to tell you that, that uh, we were hoping that maybe we could get the grants into our new building on our grand uh, opening in September, and she didn't make it. But while I was sitting here, in God's wisdom and in his providence, he decided that it was better for her to say goodbye in the building that they built rather than the new building. And so uh, it was just a joy yesterday, and uh, I just wanted to mention that. It was a good time. So here we have four examples of Jesus, his, four examples of his authority, but, but better four examples of victory that Jesus can bring into our lives. And the first one is Mark 4, 35 to 41. You put it up for me. This is victory over the storms. As evening came, Jesus says to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion, and the disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? And when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the water, silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. And he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. For even the wind and the waves obey him. This is victory over the storms. Now, uh, any of you who have been to Israel or done any reading about Israel, you'll know that uh, storms on the Sea of Galilee are pretty, pretty normal. They're pretty common. The way that it sits uh, in this sort of valley, it, it sits in a bit of a wind tunnel. And so uh, in the middle of nowhere and suddenly storms can come up. Wind just whips through there and all of a sudden uh, – what was a calm day now is not a calm day. And uh, it's just a spot where high winds appear. But this storm must have been really, really bad. Because you're talking about disciples who about half of them were experienced fishermen who fished for a living. You know um, those, those dudes that go out on the North Atlantic fishing for crab and whatever that show is called. Um, help me. Deadliest Catch. There you go. Yeah. You see the waves that those guys are boating in? Like, who goes out there like that, right? But this is the kind of experienced fishermen that we have. These guys were adults. They'd fished their whole lives, and it says they were terrified. This was a bad, bad storm. Even experienced fishermen were scared. Now, some think this storm actually was more than a natural storm just because of the words that Jesus uses he, he, the, the words that he uses are the same words he uses when he was casting out demons and uh, rebuking evil spirits. And so some believe that this may have been a demonic attack, either trying to kill Jesus and the disciples or at the very least stopping him from making it to the other side. 
And uh, he didn't get up. Other times when there was a storm, he just got up and said, peace, or be done. But this time he said, he, it says he rebuked the wind and the waves. And that, so there was a little bit of difference saying, but what, whatever, the, whatever the nature is, he gets up and, he's, and he calms the storm. See, here's the point. Jesus was going to the other side. He said, to the, as evening came, he says to the disciples, let's go to the other side, right? He has a job to do on the other side. There was a man there needing his help, and we're just about to get there in just a second. But he, he wasn't going to be stopped. Nothing could stop him from reaching the other side. He has authority even over the wind and the waves. And it, how many times in our lives, uh, when storms come, honestly, do we act like the disciples did here? When something comes your way that's not exactly pleasant, you get scared, we panic, we, we wonder if God still cares about us. They have Jesus sleeping in the boat. Now, how do you sleep in the middle of a rough storm? When you're at complete peace, <laughs> right? He's going to the other side, and he knows nothing's going to stop him from getting to the other side. A little wind and wave's not going to throw him off. But the disciples are afraid. They have Jesus in the boat, but they're afraid. And we do the same thing. We get scared. We panic. We, we wonder if God still cares about us. Are you, are you still with us? Have you forgotten about us? Well, here's the thing. He does care. He, he does care, and he is with us. And the problem really is not the storm. The problem was their lack of faith, right? At times, our greatest problems are not the ones around us. At times, the greatest problems are the ones that are within us. And I think we have to grasp that sometimes. Jesus gives them this gentle rebuke and, and, uh, and says, where's your faith? Where's your faith? Uh, he says, listen, I told you we were going to the other side. He's with them in the boat. Just think about this, okay? He was with them in the boat, but yet they were terrified. Isn't that interesting? He is with us in the boat, in our boat, in our storms, in our struggles, in, 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 in the ups and downs of life, in the good, in the bad, in the messy, in the disastrous, in the terrible. He is still with us, just like he was in the boat. And he still rises up and says, what are you afraid? I am here, and I told you that we were going to go to the other side, and nothing will stop us from reaching the other side. So be encouraged today. It was a lack of faith that caused their fear. And you know that fear does such terrible things to our minds. You know that when you're afraid, you don't think right, you don't act right. It makes, it makes you think the worst. You know, when your kid's out, and all of a sudden, they don't come back in, and then they don't come back in, and they don't come back in, and your anxiety level starts to rise up. Why is it that you think that, like, they're either dead or, you know, like, why is it? The more fear gets into our brain, the more irrational we become. And, and, and so he's saying, listen, I did not give you a spirit of fear, but I gave you, right, a spirit of a sound mind, right? This is not what God 
how, this is not how he wants us to live. So there's this, there's this irrationality that comes when we get afraid. It makes us think the worst. It makes us question things that we wouldn't normally question. And, and, when, we're, and when we're talking about God and we're going through this difficult time, look at the disciples. He's in the boat physically. They can see him with their eyes. And they're still saying, don't you care? Don't you care? He's right there. Yeah, I think he does, you know. But this is, this is what fear does to us. I want to tell you this little story. Robin Morgan uh, is a writer, and he told the story that took place the Sunday after the Titanic uh, sank in uh, 1912, I think it was. It happened, this story happened in Belfast, Ireland, uh, where the ship was built. The Titanic, or parts of the Titanic, were built in Ireland. And there was a little church there in Belfast that lost 16 men when the Titanic went down. Uh, they were mechanics on board the ship, and they didn't make it out when the ship went down. And, of course, it was a small church, and it was a terrible day. And they gathered on a Sunday, and they were feeling, if you could imagine, 16 of their own had gone down. It was a terrible, terrible thing. And so the, that Sunday, the pastor got up, and he read this very passage from Mark 4, verse 35 to 41. And he said this to his people. He said, I want you to know that there's only one vessel in all of history that was truly unsinkable. And it was this little boat that had the sleeping Savior in it. He said, the only hearts that can weather the storms of life are the hearts that have Jesus in them. And they went on to share their grief and to, and, and, and to uh, offer comfort to one another. But he's right. Storms will come. Bad things do happen. And it's not always going to be easy, but we have to remember that he has ultimate victory over every storm. That, that he is still with us. He is still in the boat with you. He is in that difficulty. He is in the struggle. He is in the circumstance. He is in the challenge. He is still with you. When you feel like yelling out, where are you? Don't you care? He's right beside you, ready to offer peace and help and strength and ultimate victory over every storm. This is what he's saying. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. Even through the storms of life, keep the faith. Second, he, sa he, he talks about victory over demons. Mark 5, uh, 1 to 20. We'll just read this real quick. So they arrived on the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. So, so now they've made it across the lake, okay? They've made it through the storm, and now they're arriving on the other side. When Jesus climbs out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit comes out from a cemetery to meet him. The man lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, what's your name? And he replied, 
My name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. And there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, they begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out of the man, entered the pigs, and the entire herd of 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. The, the herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened, and a crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. It's a really interesting part of the story. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. Now, since this is a survey of Mark, obviously there's a lot here. But let me just say this. We're not told how or why, uh, but, but something in this man's life opened him up to satanic influence and oppression and, and, and obviously possession. And this is a reminder to all of us, by the way, maybe not on that level, but this is a reminder to us of what Satan can do when we give him an open door into our lives. It's never going to get better. It's only going to get worse. That's what he does. You know, 1 Peter 5 says that he prowls around like a roaring lion, a roaring lion seeking whom he can, right, right. This is what he does. So he's, he's going to make it worse. And if we give him an open door or a crack in the door, he's going to take it. This guy, think about it now. This guy had lost everything. He'd lost his family. He'd lost his friends. He, he, he lost his decency. He lost his self-control. This guy is running around naked, screaming, cutting himself. He's, he's, a, he's a crazy lunatic. Everybody is afraid of him. He is a madman in that sense, right? He, he, he would have stayed this way, let me say this, if it wasn't for Jesus coming through a storm to save him. Why do you think Jesus pressed through the storm? Because he had a man here who needed to be saved. And the storm wasn't going to stop him, and the demons weren't going to stop him. And so he would have stayed this way if Jesus had not come through the storm to save him. Nothing was going to stop him from reaching this man. Nobody could chain this guy down. Nobody could help him in any way. And, and it reminds us again, by the way, of there's things in life that only can be accomplished by divine intervention, right? There are some things in life that can only you can only win by, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of God, right? That it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord, right? That there are some things in life, they can't chain this guy down, 
they can't do anything for him. They, they can't save him. They can't heal him. They can't calm him down. They can't even restrain him. Some things need the power of God. So Jesus discovers that this man is under the control of a legion of demons. Now, a legion, if you didn't know, could have as many as 6,000 men. They were not all that big, but they could have as many as 6,000 men in a Roman legion. You, we can't even imagine. I was thinking about it this week. Could you just try to uh, imagine? I don't even think we can, but the, the horrors that this man experienced. That day and night, these demons are controlling him and tormenting him. And, and he lives with it. Jesus shows up. And now the demons beg not to be sent into the abyss, but to be sent us into the prison. Jesus gives them permission, which is, again, a reference to the authority and the victory that he has even over tormentors. Now, are you ready for a joke? Lighten, lighten up this mood, okay? All right, so I heard this joke that if a, if a legion could be up to 6,000 men, so... So let's say there, there, it, it, that means if a legion could be up to 6,000 and there was 2,000 pigs, that means there could have been three demons per pig, correct? I'm not great at math, but I'm pretty sure that's correct, right? So, so 6,000 demons going into 2,000 pigs, that means there's three, demon, three demons per pig and it's no wonder they committed suicide. Suicide, suey, suicide. Boy, you guys are slow today. It was a groaner, I know, but man. I, okay, I smiled when I, anyway, right? It's no wonder they committed suicide, right? So anyway, please take note that even the demons knew that Jesus had the authority and the power over them. There, there wasn't any, we're trying to fight you. It was them begging Jesus, right? It was them, uh, it was them waiting for him to give them permission to do what, what the next step was. They weren't telling him anything. They weren't demanding anything. It was him showing that, uh, that, that even the demons knew who had the authority in this situation. They knew they were done. They knew they were defeated. And all the people come out. They see this man now completely well, and they're afraid, and they beg Jesus to leave. Now, you see what fear does to us? Honestly, you see how irrational and crazy it makes us, right? What a missed opportunity. Like, why, why would you ask him to leave? Why, why, why not ask him to stay? Why not ask him to come and heal other people who are in need? Why not come and ask him to touch you, to help you, to that, that I, we, I have leprosy, I have blind people, I have lame people. Why don't you come and ask him to stay and help? But they're afraid. Some people think the owners of the pigs were worried that he was going to cost them more money in business and they were more worried about the loss of the pigs than they were about anything else. And so they, they, they didn't want him and people were afraid and they just didn't want him. 
And so Jesus doesn't stay where he's not welcome. And so he prepares to leave. And he's getting ready to get into the boat. And of course, the man who's healed now wants to go with him. And Jesus says, no, listen, your place is here. I want you to stay. I want you to stay with your family. Could you imagine? Uh, I mean, this guy had a lot of catching up to do. You imagine his wife and his kids and his friends and his family and all the wounds and hurt and baggage and dysfunction that was in their lives because of all of this. There was healing that needed to be done in that home. And Jesus wanted him to stay and get it right. And, and, and not only that, uh, but I want you to note, too, that this guy becomes a powerful witness for Jesus, right? In fact, I don't know if he gets the credit for it, but as far as I can tell, he might be the first missionary to the Gentiles. He goes to the ten towns or the Decapolis, the ten towns of the region, and he goes around to every town telling them, you know, and sharing with them what had happened. Jesus saved him. Jesus delivered him. And, and he became this powerful testimony of victory that Jesus can give over the enemy. And that's who he was and what he did. A, a testimony like that is powerful. And so that's what he did, and that was the ministry that Jesus assigned him to. So we have victory over the storms. We have victory over the demons. Third is victory over disease. It's uh, Mark 5, 21. It says this, Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake. Now he's going back from to where he started, right? And, and a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Isn't it interesting? On one side of the lake, they tell him they don't want him to, they want him to leave. And on the other side of the lake, he's a rock star with thousands of people waiting for him to arrive. And this, is a, this is what was going on. Then a, a leader of the local synagogue whose name was Jairus arrived. And when he saw Jesus... He fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him, my little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay for them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. And she had heard about... Jesus, and so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe, for she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. And immediately the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. And Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? And his disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. And then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and told him what she had done. Now, this is, a, this is like a, uh, what, you know, it's sort of like uh, whatever they call it, but it's like a story inside a story, right? So uh, the people on one side of the water ask him to leave, and people on the, on the other side, they're waiting for him. This huge crowd is there. And as Jesus makes his way, uh, he's making his way to Jairus' house. There's this woman. We'll, do a, we'll, we'll, we'll touch with her first because she's the, it, it, her healing happens first. This woman with this incurable bleeding problem, she has this hemorrhaging issue in her life, and she touches his robe. 
Now understand that she's desperate. She's broke and she's unclean because of the constant bleeding that's going on in her body. Her intention was not to bother Jesus at all. All she was going to do was touch his robe and then to slip away into the crowd unseen and unnoticed. But it's important that this is, this is part of the story that I want us to understand. It's important that we realize that Jesus responds to faith and he wants to celebrate. All right? This is what he does. So she puts her faith into action and Jesus wants to make sure that it was known so that we can see and understand how he responds to faith, how much he celebrates it, how much he honors it, how much he likes it, how much he wants it for us. It's important, right? It was too important for him to let it go. He could have just, of course, felt the healing power go out and let the woman go off in obscurity, and we would have never have heard the story. But look at 2,000 years, the lessons that we've learned from this woman and the power of faith. It was too important for Jesus to let it go. He wanted this woman's faith to be known, and he wanted her faith to be celebrated. So he honors and he blesses faith. And you see, and you see it in his interaction with her. He deals with her publicly to make sure that the testimony of her belief and the testimony of her healing could be made known. You know why? I mean, one of the basic reasons why is because he gets the glory that way, right? He gets the glory that way. So we, we should know that he has victory over every disease and that we can trust him to do great, impossible things. And when he does, we should give him the glory and make sure we tell others our story. Hey, I just made a rhyme. Come on now, I just made a rhyme. Yeah. I didn't mean to, but it just came, it just worked. Right. Listen, so when he does something, we got to give him the glory and make sure we tell the story. Right? That's the thing. He pauses to make sure that God gets the glory for this woman. The woman gets, gets uh, you know, honored and blessed and encouraged for her faith. And then this story of faith now challenges us, encourages us, and blesses us that if an unknown, obscure woman can reach out through a crowd of hundreds and probably thousands of people to say, I believe, and, and Jesus stops the whole train to say, who touched me? It was that important to him to make sure that we knew. So don't let it go. He understood what the woman had done, and he wanted us to know. We can trust him to do the big things, and when he does, we give him the glory, and we got to make sure that we tell the story. Because when we tell the story, he gets the glory. I, it's flowing now. See, story glory, right? But, but th th that's what happens, right? It's what happens. Your story, his glory. His glory, your story. However you want to say it. But when he does something, make sure you tell the story. Because when you tell the story, he gets glory for it. And that's, the, that's what he was shooting for. That's what he stopped for. Now, you could imagine if you're Jairus. Your 12-year-old daughter is dying. You're in a panic for Jesus to arrive at your house. And Jesus stops. And he's like, come on. Like, hurry, hurry. You know, he's, pan he's in full-blown panic mode. Listen, 
Parents, his little girl was dying, dying on the verge of death. His only hope was Jesus. It wasn't easy for Jairus to come to Jesus for help. And I want you to see the rest of the story. Look at this, Mark 5.35. Go to the next one, Mark says. So while he was still speaking to her, to the woman he's talking about, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the, uh, stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. And he went inside and he asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead, she's only asleep. And the crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kume, which means little girl, get up. And the little girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened, and then he told them to give her something to eat. This is the end. So we have victory over the storm. We have victory over the demons. We have victory over disease. And lastly, we have victory over death. This is what he chose. Victory. See, it's not easy, like I was saying, it's not easy for Jairus to come to Jesus for help. I mean, think about it. He's a synagogue ruler. He's a, he's a religious leader. And his other religious leader's friends by and large, would not want Jairus to go reach out to Jesus for help. Mm -hmm. You know how they'd like Jesus, not at all. And so, so he does anyway, but get the point here. He was desperate. He would rather lose his friends, lose his position, lose his job, than lose his daughter. He, he, he was going to save his daughter and do anything he could and it didn't matter what anybody said or thought. He was going to reach out to the only guy that he thought could help. He was desperate. And Jesus speaks three things to him. I, I said that Jesus gives him three words. He gives him a word of faith. He gives him a word of hope. And he gives him a word of power. Uh, first uh, is this, Mark 5.36. Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith. He gives him a word of faith. I know that's uh, people get upset about word and faith being put together sometimes. But he gives him a word of faith right here. Jairus had enough faith to come to Jesus in the first place, right? So now he's encouraging him to hold on to it. Don't let some messenger throw you off saying that your daughter is dead. You had the faith to believe, to reach out to me, to believe that I could help and do something. Why give that up now? Hold on to your faith. Just believe. Right? He gives him this word of faith. Right? Um, Mark 5.39 is the next one. He went inside and he asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. I, I call this a word of hope. Now, if you're standing there and you're the mom and the dad of your 12-year-old little girl, and Jesus says, Jesus says, this child isn't dead. 
she's only asleep. Wouldn't that spark a little bit of hope in you? Wouldn't you think, hey, maybe he's up to something? It's a word of hope. You see, uh, back then they would they would hire, it was kind of weird, but they would hire these professional mourners who would who would come and they were called into your home if you had enough money and when someone died and they would mourn and yell and scream and wail and they would lead the family and all of your friends and neighbors in mourning over, over, uh, over the death of your loved one. And so it was a big commotion. There was screaming and wailing and crying going on. And Jesus' words were meant to give the mom and dad hope. Your daughter is not dead. Your daughter's going to be okay. Mark 5.41 is the word of power. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, get up. It's a word of power. Jesus shows that he has victory even over death. See, bad things are going to happen in this world, but we don't have to be afraid because Jesus has ultimate victory over storms, over demons, over disease, and over death. I, want, I, I found this quote. I cut it out of, uh, not out of a book, but uh, I photocopied it and then I cut it out, okay? And if it was my book, what do you care? <laughs> anyway, but I, I found this quote and I just, I, I thought it was so applicable. Uh, the guy, uh, Stanley Jones, his name is, and he wrote this. He said, I am inwardly fashioned for faith, not for fear. Fear is not my native land. Faith is. I am so made that worry and anxiety are sand in the machinery of life, but faith is the oil. I live better by faith and confidence than I do by fear, doubt, and anxiety. In anxiety and worry, my being is gasping for breath, this is not my native air. But in faith and confidence, I breathe freely. This is really my native air. And I thought, yeah. He's, he's, he's got something. He's nailed it. That Jesus continually throughout this passage, this little chunk of what we're looking here in Mark, he keeps, again, pointing to faith. And how powerful it is, and how freeing it is, and how important it is, and 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 how you've got to keep it through the storms of life. How you've got to keep it when the, when the enemy comes calling. How you've got to keep it when disease knocks on your door. How you've got to keep it, especially when death starts to call. You've got to keep the faith. It's important. You are dealing with someone who has ultimate victory, and so. Today, I encourage us all, let's believe in a God who has victory over storms, demons, disease, and death. We live better when we live by faith. Amen?